0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everyone. This week, we will be discussing season three, episode 20 product recall. In this episode, the office is in crisis. Michael makes a video and Andy might be going to jail. Before we get into the happenings of this week's episode, we are going to update you on what we found from last week. Now, as you may recall, we decided that a lot of people probably should have been fired last week for gambling in the office. And so we went back and we looked to see who exactly participated in that. And it is quite a list. Kevin gets fired. It's his third firing of the season. It's his third overall. Jim gets fired. It's his second firing of the season and his third overall. Oscar gets fired. It's his first firing this season and his first overall. Karen gets fired. It is also her first firing of the season and first overall. Pam gets fired. It's her first firing of the season and her second overall. Phyllis gets fired. It's her first firing of the season and her first overall. Creed gets fired. It's his fourth firing of the season and his fourth overall. And Toby gets fired. It is his first firing of the season, his second overall. So quite a list. We we lose three people for the first time ever. And... In total, we lost nine people last episode, those eight plus Michael. So Curtis,
1: where does that leave us? Does this shut down the office?
0: Not quite. There are two people left. And so we will see at the end of the season when we do kind of the wrap up of the season, if those people are still here, because we may, by the end of this season, see the office get shut down.
1: See the end. And I just want to point out, and we did mention this last week, Toby is the HR representative and is being fired for this fireable offense. So
0: For participating in yes. this, because he is the one that says, we have a potato and Creed's eating an apple. So yes. he clearly is He's participating partaking. in the, will Creed eat this and not realize it thing.
1: So Toby remains the worst HR representative on the planet.
0: So, back to this week's episode, and we start with the cold open, and I'm just gonna let Antoinette take this one because I know she loves it very much
1: so this is probably the most classic cold open, and the one that probably most people could name mm,
0: no i I disagree. Go ahead, okay, and
1: I think I know what one you're gonna say is more classic, yeah, um. Jim comes into the office dressed as Dwight, and he is doing a very solid impression. Not only does he have the look, he also has the mannerisms. And he tells the camera that this all got kicked off because he found glasses similar to those that Dwight wears at a drugstore for about $4. And he said the rest of the ensemble came together for another $7. And he was able to very much irritate Dwight with this impression. And he starts off by asking Dwight which bear is best. And Dwight responds, well, there are two schools of thought. He's not picking up, he being Dwight, is not picking up on this impression. And once he finally does, because of the iconic quote, bears beats Battlestar Galactica, Dwight is... Realizing what's happening and he says okay fine impression is the sincerest form of flattery he's choosing to you know take the high road and look at it as a positive all until Jim pulls out a bobblehead from his briefcase and it's a bobblehead that Dwight has I think it's some sort of character maybe it's from Battlestar Galactica I don't know and that's when Dwight becomes furious and he says identity theft is not a joke jim millions of families suffer every year and then runs off to tattle to michael now what is great about this episode and this cold open in general is that there are so many good quotes this to me is the most quotable episode of the series and my friend in college dressed up as dwight from this exact um, cold open and uh, for Halloween, before Instagram was a thing. So before everyone dressed up as characters from the office for Halloween because outside of Dwight, it's pretty easy to do and then you just stick on a name tag and say, I'm Pam or Angela or whatever. And he had he had his mom, <laughs> he had his mom, even him. <laughs> sleeves of a shirt of a mustard colored shirt because you could only find a long sleeve one to hem it to be a short sleeve shirt and found glasses found that exact watch um and was a dick the entire night of halloween like dwight
0: very impressive yeah it was fun to address what i think is the most iconic cold open i would say fire safety <laughs>
1: Okay. I wasn't thinking of that one, but that is a good one. Which one were you thinking? I was thinking of when Kevin brings in the chili. Oh,
0: no, no, no. I Fire safety, I think, is, is the most notable one. Yeah,
1: that is a really good one. You are correct. So tell us about what kicks off this episode.
0: In the main body of the episode, we see everyone is on the phone, and it does appear that they are all kind of working on the same thing. And we learn that everybody is pretty much playing customer service here because Dunder Mifflin has sent out something like 500 reams of paper 500 boxes of paper something like that all of which had an obscene watermark on it and we see the watermark and this this is kind of a uh, a weird happening like within the Universe that The Office exists in. Explain. Well, The Office exists in what is our world. We have have heard references to other things. For example, last episode, Kelly was talking about Netflix and she Mm -hmm. names several movies that are in this consciousness. Okay,
1: so we're not in an alternative universe. Correct.
0: But... And for this episode and they show the watermark and michael is saying it is a beloved cartoon duck fornicating with a beloved cartoon mouse we are supposed to infer that that is daffy duck no sorry donald duck and mickey mouse
1: no it's mighty mouse
0: no it is absolutely supposed to be supposed to be in the sense of in the office in the u- universe that this exists supposed to be Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse
1: what's your evidence
0: for that i mean i don't have any but <laughs> what other iconic duck and mouse character can you think of well combined mighty, to, mighty mouse to- together is what I but together
1: of, i you are blowing my mind cuz i've literally never piece that together, because I always assumed it was Mighty Mouse and a duck cartoon that I didn't know.
0: No, it's a beloved, he says, beloved duck and uh, beloved
1: They just didn't mouse. want to pay Disney. They could, well... Or probably couldn't. They,
0: not only did they probably not want to pay Disney, but, Disney but they them. would be like, hey, here's what we want to do with this. Disney would be like, no, no, you can't do that.
1: I literally never thought about that but you are probably correct because you're always correct but okay wow i my mind is blown yeah
0: so these are nondescript cartoons yeah that are supposed to be donald duck and mickey mouse because we see them and they look nothing like those characters correct
1: right okay all right so yeah that is the crisis that we are dealing with For the longest time, when I first saw this episode, and I would would have been in early college, I did not know what a watermark was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just because, you know, I wasn't in an office setting, really. So Michael calls everyone into the conference room, and he says, you know, they are in a crisis mode. It is threat level midnight, and another iconic quote, cry man squaw FNC double time. Which... Doesn't help anything because people are like, what are you saying? And so Michael thinks he's being kind of cool and probably, you know, pop culture tropey from like a police show.
0: I think it's more that in the kind of environment of this crisis, he is trying to move things along. He's trying to save time. So he throws these acronyms out that nobody knows what they stand for. And as Pam points out, here, Michael has to spend more time explaining what these acronyms mean than just saying the normal thing.
1: Which he meant crisis management squad, front and center, twice as fast as you would normally go. So now, yeah, he has to waste the time to explain that. He assigns out a bunch of tasks. Dwight is going to be handling the press conference. Jim is going to go visit Dunmore High School which is a Keystone account for Dunder Mifflin, and the problem is that they sent their prom invitations out on that paper. How, though, someone did not open the ream of paper to put into the printer or whatever and see that watermark before printing said prom invitations?
0: Maybe it's a a third-party thing? I don't know. I mean, that still doesn't excuse the third-party printing place to be like, uh...
1: Right, here's right. your invites. So Jim will be going out there, and Michael wants someone to go with him, so he has assigned Andy, because Ryan hasn't made a sale, even though that might have been a better choice. Kelly is training the accounting staff to help with customer relations, since she's just one person, and they have a ton of calls. Pam is also fielding a lot of calls, but seems to be sending it back to customer relations. It does seem like the sales team is also on customer relations, but perhaps didn't need training since they already deal with clients and customers all the time in the regular course of their job.
0: During this meeting, Michael points out that this is kind of on Creed. Creed is in charge of quality assurance for the office. and. Creed in Interstitial says he's supposed to go to this paper mill every week and this just so happens in the year that he decides to not do that. So Creed very clearly has not been doing his job. And so he spends his day not necessarily fixing the problem but trying to save his own skin and kind of create this lie that kind of excuses him from any wrongdoing in this situation. So he calls the paper mill and he just talks to whomever it is that answers the phone and says that I was supposed to be there last Wednesday and the manager on duty wasn't there. They canceled on me at the last minute. And he asks, who is the manager that was supposed to be there last Wednesday. And the person on the other end of the phone seems to say something along the lines of like, well, I'm not sure who that is. And essentially Creed gets this person to give up the name of some manager that was not there last week, whether it be unscheduled or scheduled. So Creed has now has a name. Creed now has is kind of creating this paper trail of oh, well, I was supposed to talk to this person, Debbie Brown, who it turns out to be. I was supposed to talk to Debbie, but she wasn't there last Wednesday, so this isn't my fault. Had she been able to meet with me, we could have caught this.
1: Yeah, crisis could have been averted. And Creed is very unrepentant, let's say, in his interstitials with the camera, Because he says, I will do whatever it takes to survive, but I will add up to the point of actually doing his job.
0: Right. So we learn that somehow Creed has spun this out far enough to where Debbie Brown loses her job at the paper mill. And Creed, ever the grifter, goes around to all the people in the office. He gets a card has him sign it, collects money for Debbie as just kind of a, sorry, you're down on your luck right now. And then leaves to take the card there, takes all the money out of the card and throws the card away. And I'm not sure how, like, who, who is this person? Who is Debbie Brown to Phyllis and Stanley? Like, do they know who this person is? I can't imagine that anybody in the office, probably other than Creed has any sort of relationship with the people at the paper mill.
1: Agree. And I'd also point out that most of these people have probably worked with Creed long enough to be like, yeah, no, I'm not giving Creed any money or I'm not letting him be the organizer of anything like this. And so that to me is, I guess, a little bit of like a far-fetched storyline just in the sense of how far they take it outside of the realm of character development, let's say.
0: One person who is absolutely enjoying this day is Kelly. She, for some reason, is just super excited about the developments of the day. Maybe it's because she gets to talk to people more than she normally would. Maybe. And so she has been put in charge of training the accounting staff to handle customer service calls. And she does a very good job. She does a lot of um, positivity things where it's mm-hmm. constant positive feedback.
1: She does the Oreo method. Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Sandwich method is what I know it does. Yes. It's good thing on top, bad thing in the middle, good thing after that. Yeah. And the person that she really, really has to utilize this on is unsurprisingly. Angela.
1: Angela, as we know, we are near the end of season three. We've spent some time with Angela, has no tact. She is judgmental. She does not really have a kind bone in her body. So she is really struggling with customer relations. And for some reason, despite being extremely Christian, she is not able to apologize which seems like a weird hang-up. So she will tell these callers that the official position of Dunder Mithin is apologetic. What more do you want? Well, you've already gotten your money back. We've said, the company has said that they're apologetic. You need to take it or leave it. And so she's getting people hanging up on her, probably calling back and asking for a different person to complain some more. And so Kelly is really having to spend a lot of time sort of massaging Angela's delivery here and for some reason Angela just cannot do it. So when everything I guess has settled down a little bit and the accounting team is back at their desks and doing just accounting things Kevin and Oscar sort of rib Angela for you know sucking it up at customer relations because she chides Kevin for not being able to add 4 plus 7 which will come up in later seasons about Kevin's inability to actually do math
0: Kevin suffers from a very unfortunate sitcom trope that I absolutely hate what's that it is character is dumb as the seasons go along the only way to make them funny is to make them dumber
1: agree that is so true because Kevin really gets short shrift like as they sort of run out of material, so as the office is sort of sputtering a little bit, I would say, Kevin just becomes real, real dumb. And there's even a storyline which is sort of inappropriate and we'll get there about mental disabilities and Kevin being mistaken for having that. And so that's a little bit of a frustrating thing. Like you said, it's just a trope. And I can think of a lot of other shows Andy on Parks and Rec, for example, in which characters just, yeah, become so dumbed down to where you're like, okay, well, this type of person wouldn't actually be able to function in real life and wouldn't have friends. Right.
0: Joey on Friends is another one. Oh, yeah. But yes, Andy on Parks and Rec is, he's one of my least favorite characters on that show because of this, because he is impossibly dumb at the end of it to the point that, like you said, he probably is not fun... Like, he, how is he functional as an adult? Mm-hmm. But he gets put in charge of a charity wing. Right. And it's just like, no, there's no way that would ever happen. Andy could barely run the shoe shine stand.
1: Right. So, yes, Angela struggled. And you know what's funny is that Kelly, in trying to do her Oreo method, as she's training them, saying... You guys are no longer losers. Like, forget about accounting. So just an interesting day for customer relations wing and the accounting wing uh, at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, I would say.
0: As we said earlier in the episode, at the meeting in the conference room, Michael assigns Andy to accompany Jim to Dunmore High School to kind of iron things out there. And Jim really wanted to go by himself especially after andy was the one assigned to him and honestly i don't really know why this is a two-person job but right all right
1: i need two men on this that's what she said no time but she did
0: right and so on the drive to the high school andy is kind of reverting back to the andy that we know in the sense that he is just very over the top annoying
1: insufferable Andy
0: yes he sings in the car when Jim asks hey can we just play some music and this is after Andy has asked how what's her name is doing and Jim's like you know what her name is he's like yeah it's Karen where she's like one of my oldest friends (laughs) but he also says something that Antoinette also really loves and it. it's another one of her favorite quotes in this episode.
1: He says, hey, beer me. And Jim's like, what? He's... <laughs> so Andy's response is, I always say beer me. It gets a laugh like a quarter of the time. And all he's saying is like, hey, beer me that CD.
0: Hand me that water. Hand me that water. what he's trying to get here.
1: And... I don't know. Was beer me like a thing at parties in the early 2000s or anything? Is this like a...
0: I mean, beer me as a phrase. Right, okay. Hey, you know, beer me.
1: Yeah, so he's trying to use that just in everyday conversation, but it does not translate because beer me is a complete sentence. Beer me that water bottle is not a complete sentence. Like, you can't just say beer me and no one's going to know what you're talking about. Right. So when they get to the parking lot, <laughs> they get out of the car, Jim says to the camera, Lord, bear me strength, <laughs> which is something I do like to text Curtis when I need strength.
0: <laughs> Ironically, though, if somebody were to say just out of nowhere, hey, you want to beer me that beer? Or hey, can you beer me that glass or whatever? I would laugh. I think it'd be <laughs> hilarious.
1: I mean, that would be the quarter of the
0: time. Yeah.
1: Inside the high school, Andy spots someone that he knows. He's like, oh, that. what's my girlfriend doing here? And Jim's response is, oh, is she like the teacher standing over there? And Andy says, no, she's a part-time frozen yogurt. <laughs> and Jim immediately knows, okay, your girlfriend's a high schooler. Andy is still not caught on. He's in denial. He's like, maybe she's like a guidance counselor or, you know, is just doing a job here. But when we see the girlfriend, it's extremely clear that this is a high school student. Now, Curtis, how old do you think Andy is?
0: Maybe just shy of 30.
1: Ed Helms has like an older look about him. Right. But I'm going to guess you're right that he's probably supposed to be in the same age cohort as like Jim, Karen, and Pam. So he's got to be, at the at best, he is in his late 20s. Meaning he is probably at least 10 years older than this girl.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, they sort of play up the possible pedophilia of this as a joke. Because Andy is in shock and he says to Jim, I didn't know. And Jim jokes well, that's not going to hold up in court. So Andy apparently really liked this girl, which tells you what the emotional maturity level of Andy is. Mm -hmm. Because in the meeting with the Dunmore high school principal, Andy is distraught and is sort of tanking the meeting in a similar way that he tanked that sales call with Michael a couple episodes ago. Because he's telling the principal that You know, the school doesn't teach, um, you know, character enough and self-respect. And he wants to take out a yearbook ad, all this stuff. And we never actually really see the discussion of Jim making it up to Dunmore High School. Like, that isn't shown.
0: Yeah. All we see from Jim is just a lot of apologizing, which is what everybody is doing on the phone anyway. So it's one of those things where it's like, why did this need to be a face-to-face thing yeah. if it was just going to be a yep we're sorry sorry we did that here's your we money back. won't happen again
1: on the way back to the office you know andy's still pretty pretty down and he instead of playing the cd on the way there when he was still sort of peppy he decides to do an a cappella version of uncle crackers drift away
0: it's a cover but whatever it's a cover yeah of somebody else did that
1: okay well that was uncle cracker's Earlier. only song too and wasn't he some kid rock protege or like in the band yeah, or something
0: correct yeah
1: so in order to cheer andy up jim starts doing an acapella version of the lion sleeps tonight and that gets andy going and he's feeling better and he starts singing in a falsetto vo- voice so hopefully andy will be recovered um it's never really brought up again And he says the only illegal thing they did was tip over some mailboxes with her friends.
0: The biggest mess of this situation, though, is, of course, caused by Michael. As he is handing out assignments in the conference room, he puts Dwight in charge of calling a press conference. And everybody's just kind of like, why would we do that? And Michael's like, well you get ahead of the story if you tell the media you are the one creating the story if the media gets a hold of it first the me- the story creates you or something along those lines
1: sure you're close
0: and michael is putting entirely too much weight in the fact that the media would cover this at all
1: correct no one really cared The Scranton Times came because Dwight called them. But they might not have really bothered with it, you think?
0: No. And at this press conference, Michael has invited one of their very key clients to be there to basically receive a public apology. And Michael has a very grandiose vision as to how this is going to play out. He has already seen the headlines that, that say something along the lines of paper company apologizes to client. Someone still does business right or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. And so he sees this as an opportunity to paint Dunder Mifflin as the good guys in the situation and when we get to the press conference Dwight is doing some management of the things around it and he is taking some tricks of the trade from his beat sales here
1: okay also one of the best quotes Michael tells Dwight to make the office look presentable. So Dwight takes a look around and he says, Ryan, Pam, Karen, up front, Pam, run a comb through your hair. And he tells the camera, first rule in roadside beat sales. Put the most attractive beats on top. The ones that make you pull the car over and say, I need those beats right now. Those are the money beats.
0: (laughs) So the one... Reporter from the Scranton Times shows up. And that's it. It's just one guy. Nobody else comes. And Dwight gives him a security clearance <laughs> badge. It's security level three. And Dwight's like, don't get too excited. It's out of 20.
1: <laughs> Which I'm not sure what security there needed to be for a press conference in the conference room.
0: Right. And so... This client shows up and Michael presents her with a gift certificate, more or less, of six months of free paper or 25 reams, whichever one comes first. I have to imagine that 25 reams would (laughs) come, like, right away.
1: Unless she's getting one ream of paper a month or something. Yeah
0: and michael is just pretty much echoing the same sentiments that we have heard throughout this episode of just very sorry won't happen again we've we've taken responsibility for it we've addressed it everything's good and this woman is like no it's it's not good i could have lost a lot of business this was very embarrassing for me
1: and she's very upset by the watermark herself she said it was horrifying
0: yeah and Michael keeps just basically repeating, well, very sorry, here's your, here's your thing. We're done now, right? And she's still very steadfast in not accepting any of this. And of course, this is where things get personal for Michael because this is an attack on the Dunder Mifflin Company in his mind.
1: Michael's first mistake was not sort of vetting the client for his press conference and making sure that this person would accept the apology was gonna be able to move on. His second mistake is asking, once the client, Barbara Allen, decided not to accept the apology, Michael asked her, well, what can I do? And she said, you should resign. And that really, you know, hit Michael because he loves this job. He loves this company. His entire, you know, persona is wrapped up in being the regional manager. And that's when it sort of all just devolves. He says, I am not going to resign. And you can either take it or leave it. And so she really like leaves in a huff and says that she's going to call the Better Business Bureau To which Michael responds, he's going to call the ungrateful biatch hotline.
0: And Michael doesn't really have time to revel in this sick burn that he just threw down. Because he turns and he sees that the writer from the Scranton Times has been taking all of this down. And so Michael is talking to Pam and just kind of trying to figure out how this can be resolved. Because he now... Has to get ahead of the media cycle again, probably. Because now this will, in fact, be a thing.
1: There's a second crisis.
0: Right. And he is just bouncing ideas off of Pam. And he says, I know what I have to do. And he pulls out a video camera. And he asks Pam, do you know what this is for? And Pam just kind of sinks... And says, yes, I do.
1: This for me is where this episode goes off the rails a little bit. What about, what do you think?
0: It's not the most compelling episode other than, like you said, the many quotes that come from it. Michael is going to make an apology video. And apparently this is not his first one. (laughs) And it starts off, innocently enough isn't the phrase, because... Michael is already at level like 9 with this. He, as he usually is, that he just goes over the top with things. And he has, Dwight has cue cards and he's reading his statement off of this. And he never really gets around to the apology video part. He doesn't really say he's sorry.
1: No, you're right. He doesn't.
0: And it very quickly turns into him defending his job. Saying that he won't resign and that there's no way that anybody could get him out of that job.
1: Not even a SWAT team.
0: Right. And so it kind of devolves from what is supposed to be an apology video to almost a ransom video. Because he ends it with essentially saying, you can try and fire me, but it's not going to happen. And you have one day to decide. And Pam's like, why did you say that? And it's like, they always leave an ultimatum and again this is one of those things where like oh michael saw that in a movie so that's what he's doing here so again michael not really having the best grasp on the situation as a a whole
1: the episode ends this is probably like the end credit scene i would say it ends
0: yeah the the episode ends where michael says this and then they go to commercial and they come back and play. Essentially, it's the the cold closing, if you will. They do yes. this in a lot of episodes where it's just a it's a joke at the end of the Something com- episode, com- right?
1: Completely, you know, divorced from the main part of the episode. And Dwight comes in and trying to give Jim his comeuppance is imitating Jim. He has the look a little bit. But he didn't get the mannerisms in the way that Jim did when he impersonated Dwight. Uh, Dwight asks Karen if she would like to come over to his apartment to have sexual intercourse since he's Jim and Karen is his girlfriend. To which Karen replies, no, no thank you. And Dwight just kind of keeps looking at the camera and making faces and then he doesn't really know what to say and he's just like, mm, a little comment. And that's how it that's how it ends.
0: So with that, let's go to the annex with Antonette and find out any fun facts about this episode.
1: Not too many fun facts. Uh the cold open in which Jim was impersonating Dwight had to be shot several times because everyone kept breaking and they did do a good job and it wasn't necessarily John Krasinski and Rain Wilson, it was everyone in the background. And they just, yeah, it took quite a while to film those scenes. Also, Threat Level Midnight is the name of the screenplay that Michael wrote that Pam found in his desk in season two, and the final movie in that we see in season seven.
0: We do have some firings this episode. Creed obviously has to lose his job because... It is his job to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen and
1: And then he blackmailed someone essentially. Right. And or framed someone, I should say. It's not blackmailing, like right. framed
0: somebody. And this is seems to be news to Creed because there is another episode and I don't know I can't remember if we've already seen it or if it comes up where I think it's when Charles comes and Charles says to Creed and you're in charge of quality assurance. He's like, uh, yes, sir. Yes, I am. Like, as in like, yep, that's news to me. It is something like that. I can't remember the it's exact It's when
1: Holly situation. comes in season four and she's asking, what do you do? And then he says to the camera, what is this woman asking about my <laughs>
0: job for? Yeah, right. So it is Creed's fifth firing of this season and fifth overall.
1: Busy season for Creed.
0: Yes. We do have another firing And I think we can address that with your Dundee.
1: Yes. So my Dundee is the Dodge the Bullet Award, and that goes to Jan. A lot of the criticisms of this episode, aside from kind of the weird back half with Michael's apology video, is that it's sort of absurd that corporate is not involved at all. And that there's not even just like a phone call from Jan to Michael that it wasn't even listed in the deleted scenes. So people are like this was a good opportunity one to have Jan involved but just like the realism of corporate having to step in here. And so that's what makes me wonder is Michael getting fired for this debacle? Barbara Allen sure seemed to think that he should have been fired. Or would that go up to Jan because she is, I don't know her title, but the step above regional manager? Probably in reality, what would happen is that Michael would go because he's high enough and low enough. High enough in the sense that publicly it's like, okay, they did something and they took You know, they held someone responsible for it. But he's low enough on the corporate totem pole that it's kind of no skin off the back for Dunder Mifflin.
0: Yeah, they are. He is very easily replaced. Yeah. So, yes, like you said, in the real world, there more likely would have been a corporate statement of some sort that said, we we are very sorry for this. The person in charge of quality assurance and the manager of that branch have been fired Mm -hmm. and so we do lose Michael here in that scenario it is Michael's 11th firing of this season and his 24th overall
1: Curtis what's your dundee
0: my dundee is best director and that goes to Pam for I guess just kind of letting Michael do what he does she does say cut a couple times and so you know she does some directoral stuff But like we said, this is not her first rodeo in doing these things. And she says that Michael likes her to do it because these videos need a woman's touch. Whatever that means. Yeah,
1: whatever that means in terms of shooting a video.
0: Yeah. Who is your employee of the month?
1: Uh, I chose Jim just because he's pretty funny here, particularly with the impersonation of Dwight. What about you?
0: I chose Dwight, if only because he seems to be the only person that has succeeded at their delegated task. Yeah. Kelly did do some training, sure, but Angela kind of ruins everything that, any good that could have come from that. Mm -hmm. It is up in the air whether or not Jim and Andy kind of patch things up with the high school, but in seeing how Andy is reacting in this meeting it probably didn't go very well and Michael very obviously messes everything up. So Dwight succeeds in calling a press conference.
1: Real quick side note before we end here. I've seen this come up a couple times and we talked about this back in season one but more and more people probably I'm going to guess because of the visibility of John Krasinski the actor are really rethinking Jim the character. Mm -hmm. Or I'll say more and more people, and I mean BuzzFeed. (laughs) Realistic thing. Because, especially for something like this, Jim does, in some respects, terrorize Dwight a little bit. You know, making fun of him sort of relentlessly for no reason at all. And then sort of failing upward in a job that he doesn't give any effort towards.
0: Yeah, I would say Jim is probably guilty of punching down. Yeah. He is very clearly the cool guy in the office, whatever that means for Dunder Mifflin. And he takes time. Yeah, he's a bully, essentially. He bullies, yeah. He he uses his time to pick on Dwight. Like... A very clear example of this is last episode when Andy comes back. And we talked about this. Andy comes back and says, hey, I just, I want to be called Drew now. Right. And Jim's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, why not? Right. And, and he is, yeah, he's just kind of a dick about it. And so, yes, there are many things that Jim does. or' like, is this really what you should be doing?
1: He's not the sort of. And Kuro is a strong word in a comedy, but, you know, he's not the good lead that maybe it was portrayed to be at that time. And you know what's interesting? I mean, this is obviously not a drama, so we never hear about this watermark or any sort of repercussions ever again, because that's kind of how comedy works. Like, it's it's very much within the 22 minutes of this episode. Mm-hmm.
0: So that will do it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening to us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to your podcasts. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you all listening. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.
1: Bye.